title of the message this morning is, But Have Not Love. Father, what kind of a world is it that we live in? It's very easy to say a prayer for people. We do that. We, we pray for that entire synagogue family. We pray for the families of those who were shot. We, we pray for the policemen who were shot. Lord, we also pray for the perpetrator of this crime. But how do these things happen, Lord? This country desperately needs you. We seek you, Lord. We ask you, what is our part in your plan to reclaim your kingdom on earth? May this country find peace in you. Amen. You ever been impressed with a speaker? We've all been impressed with a speaker. I was invited to attend a conference this past Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. Last night I I couldn't attend, but I did attend Wednesday and Thursday night. And the speakers were impressive. But so what? Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I will tell you that after the service on Thursday night, and actually it was right before the service ended on Thursday night, because this Thursday night service became lots of loud voices and clanging cymbals. I asked God for a reason to slip out the back door. And praise God, my phone rang, and I just took the opportunity to answer it. But my spirit was hurt. Because I think there are too many people, too many preachers, too many teachers who are eloquent who are charismatic, who capture the attention of an audience, but yet without love, it's nothing. Without love, clanging cymbals, sounding brass, and the speaker on Wednesday night said that he was prophetic. As a matter of fact, he said a lot of things about himself, which should have been a clue to everyone there. Unfortunately, it was not. Even if you have the gift of prophecy, even if some of the things he said would come true did come true or will come true, 
even though much of what he said had some truth in it, without love, nothing. How many of you know people who are incredibly philanthropic? How many of you know people who have lots and lots of money, corporations that have hundreds of thousands or millions or billions of dollars, and they advertise how much they give to various ministries, to various charities, to various causes, yet without love, nothing. So it begs the question, what is this love that Paul is talking about? The word in the Greek is agape. Agape. Now we know that there are three different words in the Greek for love. One is eros, which is sexual or fleshly or emotional love. You know, it's the kind of love that a newlywed husband and a wife feel for each other the first night after the wedding. I won't go any further with that. Then there is phileo love, from which we get the word Philadelphia, sometimes referred to as brotherly love. Doing nice things for people, being a good neighbor. But agape is altogether different. If you look up agape in any Greek-English dictionary, it will tell you that agape love is doing something for someone else that they don't even know they need. It's not doing for someone else what they think they need. It's doing for someone else what they don't even know they need. And every one of us has experienced it. Because every one of us, at one time or another, has prayed to God for something, and it has not happened. Why? Because, number one, it's either not time yet, or, number two, it's not what we really need. And the only one who really knows what we really need is God. So when we know that what we think we know is not what we really know, then we know that God knows what we really need. And please don't ask me to repeat that. First John 4, 8 says this, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Same word, agape. He who does not love does not know God. The Greek here is gnosko. It's not a head knowledge of God. It's an experiential knowledge of God. To know him intimately. As I said before, it's to be in his presence. To not only have him abide in us, but we in him. 
That's to know God, and that's love. Because, dear ones, the easiest definition of love you can find is this, God. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not God, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And there are plenty of sounding brasses and clanging cymbals in pulpits and on the television all day, every day, seven days a week. And though I have the gift of prophecy, teaching, and understand mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but have not God, I'm nothing. It profits me nothing. It benefits me nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, though I'm philanthropic, though I look good to my neighbors, though I look good to the business community, though I parade all of my giving so that everybody knows how wonderful I am, but have not God, so what? And why does it profit me nothing? Why am I nothing without God? Because only God can give me what I truly need. Life. But, Dennis, don't don't you know that I'm a really good person? Well, I want you to excuse my grammar for just a minute but there are people gooder than you. Why would God want to love me? I'm such a bad people, person. You know what? There are people badder than you. Because here's the point. Please listen. God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And without God, there is no life. No matter how eloquent you are, no matter how trained and smart you are, no matter how charismatic you are, no matter how philanthropic you are, without God, you're dead. Not me saying it. That's what the scripture says. In the day you eat of that tree, God told Adam, you will surely die, as will all of your descendants. And as we read this morning in the Parsha, there's only one that can bring about life out of death whether it's the symbolic life of Isaac or life out of a dead womb or life out of a womb that hasn't been impregnated by a male sperm or our life 
There's only one who can resurrect that life, and that is God, and that is love, and that's the power of love. It is the most powerful force in the entire universe because the power of love is the power of God. What is love, and what isn't it? You know, as you read through these characteristics, I want you to understand that in and of ourselves, None of these really apply to us. (laughs) Love suffers long. Oh, I'm really good at that. Anybody else? Beat me up for another 10 or 15 years. I don't care. I love you anyway. Right. Love is kind. Oh, I can be kind when I want to be. I can be kind when it's kind of easy for me. Or how about this one? I can be kind when I'm in a kind mood. Love does not envy. First time I saw Sue's new Subaru, I said to her, I'm sure glad the 11th commandment is thou shalt not covet thy sister's Subaru ascent. I'm not supposed to say, I wish I was a more charismatic speaker. That's envy. I'm not supposed to say, I wish I had more hair. That's envy. I'm not supposed to say, but he has and I don't. Love does not parade itself. Or look good in front of other people so you can feel good about yourself. Love's not puffed up. Let me give you an example of what puffed up is to a congregational leader or any pastor of any church, and they don't know how to deal with it. It's the person who walks in the door, maybe for the first or second time, and says, I really, really love this place. I would like to teach here. Oh, really? Yeah, really, I have the gift of teaching. Well, good. What we need is the gift of bathroom cleaning. Love does not behave rudely. (laughs) You know, I'm reading these things, and I keep thinking about myself, and I'm starting to feel really bad. How many of you in here have I been rude to? Don't show me. Oh, don't show me. <laughs> Love does not seek its own. By the way, that's what the Pharisees were so upset with with Yeshua, that he was actually sitting with people who weren't part of their group, sinners, tax collectors. Every creature God created is worth sitting with. Is not provoked. (laughs) Well, that's not me. Thinks no evil. Is anybody else having the Spirit talking to him, or is it just me? 
does not rejoice in iniquity. Or like it when bad things come to people you don't like. But rejoices in the truth. That's really hard when God hits you with the truth over the head. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Dear ones, the only way we can live up to everything that I just read with you is if God lives in us and we allow him to live his life in and through us, then and only then can we do away with the negatives of what love isn't and embrace the positives of what love is. Love never fails. Now, we read, we read verses like that and we forget what love is. Love is the God-given ability to know deep down in your kishkas what somebody else truly needs. And whether you like them or not, if you have the opportunity, then you give them what they really need because God gave you what you really needed. And that never fails. It never fails. I've had people come up to me and just be belligerently angry and yell at me because of who I believe in and and what I believe. And instead of answering back in kind, sometimes a soft word like, are you really mad at me or is there something else going on in your life? Is the right word. But believe me, I often don't feel like saying it when someone's got their mouth in my face. But love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they'll fail. Doesn't say the prophecies are wrong, but I believe that it says that at one point in time in history, prophecies will fail because there won't be any need for a prophetic word. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. At some time in the future and in history, prophecies will no longer be needed. There will be no other need for a prophetic word because what will have been prophesied will have already come to be. And where there are tongues, they'll cease. We won't need to speak in other languages. We won't need to speak in an angelic tongue. And praise God, we won't have people forced to do it like was happening Wednesday and Thursday night at this conference. Has anybody ever been a part of orchestrated and forced worship that goes on and on and on and on and on, and on, and on, and repeated, and repeated, 
And what you don't understand is that when a mantra is repeated over and over and over again, it puts the audience in a trance-like mood to where thoughts can be given to them that they now think are thoughts of their own, and all of a sudden they're thinking they're worshiping on their own when they've, it's been imposed upon them. That's not love. And that's not true worship. Yelling and screaming. People falling over. And not just forward, backwards. Oh, look it up in the scripture. And where there is knowledge, it'll vanish away also. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, we have a glimpse. Even though the God of the universe abides in us, and we in him, we only have a glimpse of the true reality of not only who he is, but who we are and what we've been assigned to do and the overall understanding of the universe that he created. But when that which is perfect has come, and I think that the that is a who, When that which is perfect has come, when Messiah has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. I used to love watching my children take math courses. Partly because I am what's called math stupid. but mostly because I see the frustration from the first week slowly, slowly, slowly turning into understanding by the end of the course. And what was known in part now becomes known in full. And we're all in a course right now. And I don't care if you came to faith at the age of six hours, (laughs) which is impossible, or 60 years. We're all still learning. And when finally that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. Now, that doesn't mean we'll know everything, because I think heaven's a training ground too. When I was a child... Paul writes, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Now, it doesn't take rocket science to understand that sentence. When I was five years old, I acted like a five-year-old. Gimme, I wanna, no, yes, I'm hungry. I thought as a five-year-old, but I want to go outside and play. I understood as a five-year-old. You know how a five-year-old understands? They understand the world based on their own subjective reality. Now, let me explain that in one unfortunate example. When a father and a mother divorce 
and the child is five years old, whose fault does the child think it is? Their fault. I acted like a child. I spoke like a child. I understood like a child. I thought like a child. But when I became a man, now remember this is Paul writing. When he grew up in the faith, when he understood the message of the good news, when he was knocked off his donkey, when the Lord was revealed to him personally, experientially, intimately, when he suffered pain, beatings, the rejection of his own people, when he became a man, he put away childish things. Dear ones, it's time to stop acting and thinking subjectively about the world. I got news for you. It's not about you. I got news for me. It's not about me. I got news for all of us. It's all about him. And when we realize that, then we start acting like an adult. Then we start acting out the love that's already in us, and we start looking at our brother the same way God looks at our brother. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. There's only one way you can do that, and that's to have the God of the universe in intimate relationship. Before we get to the last verse, verse 13, I want to read a passage for you from John 13, 31 to 35. John 13, 31 to 35. So when he had gone out, by the way, this is part of his, his announcing his departure, his future departure. Yeshua said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, notice he doesn't say grown-up adults. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment. I give to you. I don't know why, but all of a sudden, the uh, old meatloaf song is running in my head. Stop right there. Oh, the people who are laughing know the song. The people who aren't laughing are a lot holier than me. Uh, new commandment I give to you? Excuse me? I thought everything that we need to know is foundationally in the Hebrew Scriptures and then only revealed in the Brit Hadashah, a new commandment I give you? And oh, by the way, somewhere along the line, he said something to the effect of, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. A new commandment I give you. that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This commandment could not have been given before his death and burial and resurrection. 
because it was only after his death and burial and resurrection that the love of God could be put in us so that we could love others like he loved us. And how did he love us? He did for us what we desperately needed even when we didn't know we needed it. And that's how we're to treat our brothers and sisters. And not just in the Lord. That's how we're to treat others. As he treated us, sacrificially, lovingly, with their best interests at heart, and not ours. It's weird when thoughts pop into your head that weren't in your message. I wonder what would happen to sacrificial giving in this country if it was no longer tax-deductible. You ever thought about that? Do we give because it's right to give? Or do we give because it's right to give and it helps the bottom line? By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have agape for one another. If you have the concerns of others embedded in your heart and not worry all that much about yourself. If you have found that place in your life where you can stand in the presence of God, have intimate relationship with him, not only feel his love, but be his love and act on his love. That's the new commandment that we're given. To love one another as he has loved us. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith. That's what is required to receive eternal life from God. Dear ones, when he returns and sets up his kingdom on earth, that faith is not going to be needed anymore because we'll see him face to face. And hope, hope is the sure anchor, anchor rather, that gets me through the day until his return. I don't think we'll need that hope anymore once he comes. Because he will rule and reign from his sanctuary and his temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And we will rule and reign with him, Scripture says. And so when he comes again, do we need that hope as an anchor to get us through the troubles of today? No. But love, love is the essence of who God is. And it's also his gift to us. You see, God, who is love, gave us himself, who is love, so that we could have his love and share his love with people who so desperately need it, even though they don't know it.
And that's the gospel in which we stand. 1 Corinthians 15. So interesting that it says this is the gospel, the good news in which we stand and by which we are saved. See, because if you're saved and you've been guaranteed eternal life, but you don't show the love that God has gifted you with to other people, how can you stand in that love? You're just a consumer of God's gift. I'm not saying he's going to take it back. Don't get me wrong. But what kind of a gift is a gift that when you get it, you don't use it? Who here would like a new car? I'm going to give you a new car, but you can't drive it. Sorry. Who here would like $100,000 to do repairs on their house? I'm going to give you $100,000, but you're not allowed to use it. Who here would like the Redskins to win the Super Bowl again? Oh, wait a minute. That's it. From my lips to your ears. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these, the one that's eternal, love never fails, is love. It's my prayer for all of us, myself included, that we not only understand the gift of love that we've been given, but that we exercise the gift of love that we've been given. For he who does not love does not know God, and I want to know him. Sometimes it's hard. Beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But we need to know him. We need to know that his judgment and his ways are always the right judgment and the right ways. We need to know that sometimes God's answer to our prayers is yes, and sometimes God's answer to our prayers is no, and both answers are right. Because usually the answer of no is either not yet or I've got something better for you. Okay, so I've gotten all that off my heart. I hope it spoke to you. It's not a scripted message that I sometimes bring, but it was something that God put on my heart to share with you because I really believe that you needed to hear it, not just me understand it and hear it. Let this congregation be a congregation of love. Let this congregation be a congregation of otherness. Let this congregation be a congregation that experiences the presence of God, not in a forced or contrived way, but because we openly open up ourselves to receive it, individually and corporately. And as the Hebrew Siddur says, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart Be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock 
and our Redeemer. And I pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Would you... Would you please stand with me for the benediction? And again, just as a reminder, there will be no Bible study this afternoon after the Oneg. We'll let you relax downstairs. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, and give you peace. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha Yair Adonai panave lecha v'yichuneka Yisadonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha shalom v'yasem lecha shalom This is the way you shall be blessed From day to day he'll be your rest This is the way you shall be blessed from day to day, he is your rest. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And give you peace, and give you peace, and give you peace. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Borei Perihagafen, Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth and rain down love, Yeshua our Messiah from heaven. In his name we pray. Amen. Shabbat shalom.